Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. You have found Foster Source uh, in our training module, the Learning Source. Today's class is from one of our favorite presenters. I think Sherry is one of the presenters we have had more than any other presenter. Um, she has amazing experience and amazing um, story to tell us. Her book is called Which Way? Exploring the Traumatized Brain. We will be giving out 10 copies of the book today in various moments. So keep, keep an eye out for that and we'll be mailing it to you. It's pretty incredible. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Sherry. We are thrilled to have you back. Thank you. Take it away. All right. Welcome everyone. I'm gonna share my screen. Here. All right. Thank you for being here. I know there are a million things you could be doing on a Saturday morning and you've chosen to spend the time with me and I'm, I'm really grateful. I hope you're not disappointed. I think I'm going to give you some good tools and strategies today. Um, I have been a therapist for 30 years of my career working with uh, children, adolescents, and families. I have run several different uh, residential treatment centers in Colorado. I'm currently the executive director of Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center up in Estes Park. Uh, we're waiting to see if we have to evacuate today. So um, a couple of years ago, I wrote a book on trauma. And because of that, I do a lot of speaking, um, have a podcast on the mental health news radio network at the end i will be asking you if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast and i used to be a foster parent so um some of what you're going through really resonates with me i have a couple goals for today the first one is to explain how easy it is that we retreat to our limbic brain and what it looks like when we do we're gonna discuss what trauma-informed homes really look like. And then we're gonna discuss some strategies um, to parent from a wizard brain instead of a lizard brain, all right? This is an interactive workshop, so I want you asking questions. I'm gonna ask questions of you uh, and I'll try to catch them as they come in. All right, let's get started. Show of hands, how many of you have experienced trauma? And you can just raise your hands Okay, I'm seeing the hands there go There they up. go. The numbers are just going up. There they go. I have to tell you guys, I'm really glad that I'm seeing that uh, in a way because all of us have experienced trauma, okay? Whether it is something traumatic that we've walked through, okay, it was this pandemic, <laughs> or something that you've heard a friend talk to you about, or something that a, a scene, an image, a picture that you've seen on your social media account as you're thumbing through or watching the news. You see, to the brain, trauma's trauma, okay? What that means is that initially, the same chemicals are released in our bodies, the, uh, the same centers of the brain light up, to the brain trauma is trauma. Now, after a few seconds, our brain kicks in and realizes that we're watching something on TV. We're not necessarily a part of it, but the damage is already done. Okay, so we're walking around, we're schlepping around a lot of trauma, all of us. 
the very fact that we are going through a pandemic right now is a traumatic experience and and it has taken away our safety and when that happens we live in our limbic brain okay and we're going to dive into that we're going to take a deep dive into that here in a few minutes one of my favorite people on the planet is Brene Brown and one of the 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 her famous quotes was loving ourselves throughout the process of owning our own story is the bravest thing we will ever do and today is about a story. I usually bring, I usually tell this story, to be honest. When we, when I go around speaking, I tell this story. And for the first time today, I'm going to have the person in the story tell her own story today. So we're going to talk about a case study, Jan. Jan, why don't you come on the screen? Because I want you to tell the, the listeners here a little bit about your story and and what made it so traumatic are you on are you on somewhere here you should be coming there she is okay let me unmute her mm, she's still muted we can't hear can you try to unmute yourself i'm clicking unmute there, you should be unmuted. We can. Okay. Hi. Thank you. Um, okay. Um, this is an opportunity for me to tell my story. I don't usually tell it. So you're the first audience. Bear with me. Oh, and guys, let me just say, some of this story could be a little triggering. So if you need to step away, if you need to get kiddos out of the room, do that. This is about taking care of yourselves. So great. Great heads up. Thank you. I was married at 19 to a man that just soaked me up and I thought it was love. What I found out to be true later was that it was dominance, it was control, it was possession. Um, the day after we got married, we moved to Colorado, um, a strange state for me. I was not allowed to have a phone, a car our friends. I felt day after day alone and abandoned. And there was nothing really for me to do all day long except wait for his return from work. <clears throat> I started having flashbacks that I didn't understand. Uh, fear and anxiety and PTS just followed me around all day. Um, I, I held them at bay as best I could by cleaning the, the motorhome that we lived in. The, uh, I would clean out closets. I would reorganize drawers. And the next day I got up and did the same thing all over again. Um, three years into our marriage, our first child was born. And three years after that, our second child was born and sunshine absolutely filled my world um, until they became toddlers. And then uh, fear filled me, uh, anxiety. I would, um, I would wake up at night in terror and dread, thinking that something horrible was going to happen to them that I didn't even understand. And so I stayed in their room all night long. Uh, 
Um, as time went on, weight, um, I, I started gaining weight and more weight and more weight. I did diets, I did cleanses, I did fasting and nothing took the weight off. I went to the medical center in Denver um, and they ran a battery of tests. <clears throat> they, when the results came in, they told me that I had extremely high stress hormones, but they couldn't find anything else. They suggested that um, I, I see a therapist. I didn't understand why. And they said, well, have you ever had any trauma? And I said, well, my dad died when I was young and I did go into an orphanage, but um, not really trauma. And they said, well, we think you should see a therapist anyway. So I walked out, I threw that prescription away and I went back to just trying to live my life raising my two children until the day my eight-year-old child at this point came into the kitchen and startled me. Um, I dropped the pan I was cooking in, food went everywhere, and I absolutely froze. And that began a five-year journey with a therapist. Thanks, Jan. We're, we're going to come back to your story and, um, and kind of figure out the pieces that you started remembering and how this puzzle all came together. But I think before we do that, there are some things that we need to understand about the brain. All right. And, and what was happening for purposes of today, I'm going to break the brain into three, three parts. The first part right up here is the prefrontal lobe. And the prefrontal lobe is responsible for all of our executive functioning, cause and effect, thinking, um, this is where we make plans, this is where we, we um, do our critical thinking and all of our reasoning. The, the prefrontal lobe is not developed in women until about the age of 25. In men, I'm not sure, guys, I'm just gonna be honest. I'm not sure if it ever is. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. No, in adults, the prefrontal lobe is developed around the age of 25. And it has a filtering system. So information and data and experiences and our wisdom flow through this filtering system. Then we can spit out an answer, a plan, whatever. It kind of it goes like this. If you were going into the break room at work and there was a beautiful chocolate glazed donut with sprinkles and you were to look at that donut and think, you know what? I deserve that. I have worked hard on this project. My emails are caught up, but wait a minute. I was going to go out tonight and have pie and a glass of wine and yikes, that would put 10 pounds on my hips. Wait a minute. That's stupid. That's not how that works. Okay. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have half the donut now, half piece of pie tonight, drink a glass of wine, and I will be back on my diet tomorrow. Boom. That's how it works in the prefrontal lobe. The, the center part of the brain um, really focuses on language and thoughts, several other things, but primarily language and thoughts. And then in the back, we have the limbic brain. Now, some of you have probably heard of this as the survival brain, 
the mammalian brain, the lizard brain. For purposes of today, I'm going to refer to, to it as the limbic brain. The limbic brain is fully developed when we're born. And it cares about one thing and one thing only, and that is our survival. That is it. That is all it cares about. The interesting thing about the limbic brain is that it believes everything that it's told. Okay. So if the limbic brain sees that mom and dad fighting and somebody gets drunk and there's yelling and screaming and somebody leaves mad and doesn't come back for a day, the limbic brain says, got it. That's what a relationship looks like. If the limbic brain uh, sees that or hears that a cute little pink fairy comes into your room at night and takes your teeth and leaves your money, the limbic brain says, cool, this is awesome. If the limbic brain is told you are ugly, you are fat, you are boring, you are not worth my time, you are not lovable, the limbic brain says, duly noted, got it. And this stays lodged in our subconscious brain throughout our lives. And it sort of chatters and runs in the background <clears throat> as we grow up. And we know, right? We know this as adults, our job is to sort of redo that belief. So put a different spin on it, to change it, to change the tape. Otherwise it informs what we do. Okay. Now there are two other pieces in the brain that are important for today. On each side of our brain, there's the amygdala and the hippocampus and they're side by side and they play an important role when we talk about trauma. The amygdala holds all of our emotions, our terror, our fear, our excitement, our happiness. The hippocampus puts a timeline to those feelings. Okay. So if you go to the state fair, and you see a roller coaster and you hear the kids screaming and yelling on the roller coaster, you might think, oh my gosh, I remember that. I remember when I was a kid. I remember that happy feeling, my stomach dropping and all of that. And it takes you back to another time in your life. Okay, that's how it's supposed to work. Or you could go to the state fair and somebody, maybe you've just gotten back from serving in the military. You go to the state fair, there's a balloon that pops. You think it's a gunfire shot and you hit the ground thinking that you're under attack. Okay, because the danger is present now. And we know in therapy that with trauma work, it's matching up that amygdala, those feelings to the hippocampus, the timeline so that people make sense of the fact that they were in peril back then, not necessarily now. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit more about what happens in the brain. <clears throat> the brain has these neural pathways and they're fascinating to me because these guys right here, neurotransmitters flow down the pathways and inform and tell us what we're going to do in our lives. So, if I grew up with the belief that I'm not lovable, I'm not valuable, what am I going to do as I get older? Who am I going to gravitate towards? Give me some suggestions in the, in the chat box. 
Hey, while people are putting stuff in the chat, let me throw one question your way, Sherry. I, I actually was thinking the same thing when this person wrote this in. How does EMDR work to move trauma to different parts of the brain? Oh, we're going to get into that. Can you give okay. me that and I'll address it? Absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah. Any suggestions? People, people like ourselves. Like ourselves. Yep. Okay. That's exactly what else? right. What else do we have here? I don't believe I'm worthy. What kind of a person am I going to gravitate towards? People who uh, val validate that for People you. Who validate that. People who validate that. If that is a belief of mine, then I'm going to pick people that validate that belief, right? And that's where we get in this whole self-sabotage loop. And I'm sure you've seen it maybe in your own behaviors, maybe with your kiddos where they kind of sabotage themselves over and over. It's, it's like this. In the brain, there are, there are crevices, okay? You can see them in this picture. And then there are like deep canyons, okay? If you think of a mountainside and, you know, there's and there's a crevice and every time it rains water flows down that crevice and makes it deeper and makes it deeper and makes it deeper then it becomes a canyon now if we were to block it off and start digging a trench on the other side of it it would take a while for the rain to start going that way and to make that crevice deeper it's the same way in our brain brain scans show that new neural pathways can be developed well into our 90s. That is what new behaviors, that is what therapy, that is what yoga, meditation, all the things in our lives that are healthy do is begin to form a new neural pathway. Can you repeat that sentence? Brain scans show that... Brain scans show that uh, new neural pathways can be developed in our brains well into our 90s. And that's exactly what therapy, meditation, yoga, all the good things in our lives do is create new neural pathways. When we challenge an old belief that we have running in the background, it becomes a new neural pathway. Okay. If your children were, were in, um, in utero and it was stressful and, and there were drugs involved, or maybe they grew up in an environment when they were tiny that was chaotic and they come to your home and things are different, it takes a minute to form a new neural pathway. And it, you can see how quickly we go from neural pathway to neural pathway. I'm actually going to show an example of this, but I need three volunteers who can write to me in the chat box and give me a negative message that you received growing up. Okay, now maybe it was spoken, maybe it was unspoken because they're both powerful, but write me a negative message that you received when you were young. First one is I'm too sensitive. Ah, uh, I'm too sensitive, okay? Let's get another one. Feel free to submit anonymously in the Q&A, guys, if you'd prefer. You will be barefoot and pregnant by the time you're 16. Oh, my goodness. Okay. You aren't going to get into college, so we aren't even going to have you apply. Oh, my goodness. You aren't smart. I'm sorry that you heard them um, because they, they lodged a belief that, that you now have to undo. So let's do that. Same people. What have you had to tell yourself? that's exactly opposite of that belief. 
couple more while people are writing those. You're fat and you need to stop eating. You are incapable of being worthwhile. You are so lazy. You are too dumb. Oh, gosh. What have you had to tell yourself? You are a loving and caring parent. Yes. Give me another one. What's the reverse of that statement? The negative one that does damage. I'm worthy. Give me one more. I see we're struggling with the positive statements here, guys. You can do whatever you strive for. Someone says, I had to keep going to community college until I could get into a four-year school all on my own. Those are beautiful. And, and it, shows, it shows exactly what happens in the brain. When we start giving ourselves the opposite of the negative that we learned, that's the neural pathway that gets deeper. How do we get ourselves to believe that? Yeah, so that's a great right? question. One of the strategies that we use um, with the kids that I work with, and I've talked about it in my own sessions that I do with people, is to write out the positive messages, right? Even if you don't believe them. I am beautiful. I am smart. I am worthy of love, whatever it is, and to put them up in places that you can see them. Now, that seems super simple, doesn't it? The fact of the matter is we see those stickies for the first maybe 72 hours, and then we just sort of don't see them anymore, right? But I want to ask you this. How many of you remember what your childhood bedroom looked like? I do. I would assume, okay, I see a lot of hands going up. Mm-hmm. Was it because you walked in as a teenager and said, okay, let's see, the bed is still there, the windows there, the dresser is there, <laughs> everything's in order. No, you are too busy popping zits and looking in the mirror, getting ready for your date. However, your subconscious mind was taking it all in, right? And was cataloging it every time you walked into your bedroom. And it's the same thing with positive messages. When we see them, our subconscious brain begins to take those messages in and incorporate them. I, I have a mandate for my staff at work that before they leave shift, they have to write positive messages, at least five of them, out to the kids and put them on the kids' bathroom mirrors before they leave so that these kids are inundated with positivity about themselves. I love that. Sherry, on my bathroom window, uh, bathroom mirror, I've got, hello, gorgeous. <laughs> is there like a, is there like a snap? Like there's, a snap? A, oh, there's definitely a snap. There yeah. you go. <laughs> Perfect. All right. I said to you all earlier, the, the limbic brain cares about one thing and one thing only, and that is our survival. There are six reactions that live in the limbic brain. <clears throat> Here they are. We're going to dive into each one of them. You've probably heard of the first three. Fight, flight, freeze, faint, fornicate, and feed. Let's break them down. So you're sitting with <clears throat> somebody, and it gets tense, and it gets awkward, and the person that you're talking to starts to raise their voice and hurl insults and get defensive. That's fight. It is 
the limbic system's way of saying danger, danger, danger. I don't, I don't feel safe here. I need to survive this moment. The only way I know how to do it is to fight with you and get you away from me. Okay. Flight, same thing. You're talking to somebody, it gets tense, it gets awkward. And the person says, I'm out of here. I don't know. I'm done. I don't know why you always do this. I'm done. Those are two of the worst <laughs> words in the English language that could go together. That's a, that's a damaging statement. I'm done. And they leave. That's an example of flight. Freeze. Jan, you talked about freeze when your eight-year-old daughter walked in the kitchen. You turned around, pots and pans went everywhere, and you froze. Right. Faint. Faint can literally look like fainting, or it could look like this. I was running a psych hospital a few years back and we had a very aggressive kiddo. Anytime he was angry, he would throw things and put his fists through windows. He was just extremely violent. And I had the nerve one morning to ask him to make his bed. And he started choking me. He's choking me and I thought, well, okay, this is how I'm gonna go out in a treatment facility. He kept choking me and finally I said, enough. He dropped his hands, he went to his bedroom and he fell asleep for 18 hours. In fact, that's what he did every time he got aggressive. He went to his room and he slept for 16 to 18 hours. That is another version of faint. Okay. Now, fornicate is more than just porn addiction. Okay. Fornicate can look like excessive flirting, high risk sexual situations, lots of sexual partners, all of that can fall under fornicate. Give me some examples in the chat box about what feed could look like. What do we have? What could feed look like? Overeating. Overeating. Good one. What else? I'm reading these as, as they come in. Feed and addiction. Ooh, good. Under eating. Yes. Stress good. eating. Compulsive eating. Absolutely. These are really good, guys. Um, and, and really, it, it's the person that said feeding and addiction. Anything that's an addiction. Who exercising excessively. Yes. The people at the gym that are excessive gymaholics, um, workaholics, okay? People that put in 16, 18 hour days. Um, people that uh, excessively cut and self-harm themselves. Um, kiddos that excessively run away. Drugs, alcohol, you name it, all of that falls under feed. And it's the limbic system's way of trying to survive. Let me ask you this, and you don't have to answer this in the chat box, but I do want you to think, think through it. I said earlier that with this pandemic, our very safety is at risk, right? I mean, stats show, I read one recently that said, 70, 70, oh, sorry, 77% of Americans um, feel very unsafe right now. And 84% feel unsettled about what the future is going to look like. All right. So by the very nature of the pandemic, we've gone to our limbic brains. What has fight, flight, freeze, faint, fornicate, and feed looked like for you? 
I, I've become more agitated. I've been in fight mode with people a little bit more. Jan, you mentioned cleaning. Is that something that you've done a lot of? You could eat off my floor. I have, <laughs> I have cleaned. I have, I've even cleaned my basement. Yes, it's, it's been, it's been traumatizing. Someone says more irritable. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I get you. Whoever said that, um, we've all had probably versions of this. And I want to go back to, um, the, the limbic brain for just a second. Um, actually the prefrontal brain. Um, those of you that have kiddos um, that are, you know, well, even if you have teenagers, um, how many of you have had to say to your teenagers, uh, do we have to do this every single morning? Do I have to tell you every oh, single goodness. morning? Oh, goodness, yes. Really, is this a conversation we have to have every morning? Or, or what about this one? How many of you have said this to your kids? Uh, did you not think about the consequences before you did this? Hmm? Did you not even think about it? Yeah, seeing some hands go yes, up. Yes, yes. Exactly. That is because your kiddos are living in their limbic brain. Their prefrontal brain is not developed yet. Okay? It's not developed. I want to talk about what that looks like. A brain under stress is a, brain, is a lizard brain. When we stress we regress. And what I mean by that is we act half of our chronological age. Our behavior becomes our language. Okay, if you don't remember anything else from today, remember this one, our behavior becomes our language when we are in our limbic brain, and we fight, flight, freeze, faint, fornicator, feed. All right. And sometimes as parents and as therapists and treatment providers, we punish those behaviors when that is their language. There's another saying that we have in this field, and it's the strongest central nervous system wins. Strongest central nervous system wins. I'm going to break that down for you here in just a minute. I don't even want to show you this next slide because I I can't even look at it. I am terrified of these creatures, terrified of them. So terrified that at any given point, I have at least eight boxes of decon strategically placed in my garage. I have a bunch of unopened ones that are ready to go. When I see one get halfway down, I put out a new one. I can buy out a Walmart in their, in their decon. And a couple years ago in Colorado, the, um, the temperature dropped overnight. I had a crack in my driveway. Everything sank. Okay. My garage floor sank. Everything sank overnight, which meant that mice had free reign to come and go from my garage all night long. They also ate the decon. So the next morning I go out of my garage, my car's in there. I had forgotten my laptop. I open the garage door and there are dead mice everywhere. I panicked. This is early in the morning. I'm still in my SpongeBob pajamas. I grab my cell phone. I call my mom who lives down the street. I only had to say one word, mice. She's like, I'll be right there. She gets it. She knows. 
I am sitting on the curb in front of my house. I was rocking back and forth. I might've been sucking my thumb. I don't remember. It's all a haze. Anyway, she drives up, she gets out of the car. She starts launching into action, cleaning up dead mice. She's spraying down everything. She's sanitizing everything. I am still in my jammies on the curb. I still cannot function. When everything is cleaned up, she finally comes over. She just puts her arm around me, starts to sort of rock with me. (laughs) And we sat like this for another 15 minutes and just breathed. Finally, she said, how you doing? I said, I'm better. I, I think I think I can make a plan now. Right. I want you to think about the most stressful times in your life and who helped you the most. Was it the person who was like, oh my God, tell me everything. Let's write it down. Let's do a pro con list. Let's make a list. I want all the details. Or was it the person who showed up to your house and said, brought some chicken soup. I'm here whenever you need me. Right? When we feel safe, I was the strongest central nervous system. I was, I was panicking. I couldn't come up here even if I wanted to because the blood in my body was going to my extremities so that I could, what, say it out loud, fight, fight, freeze, faint, fornicate, or feed. The blood wasn't going here. Couldn't do it even if I wanted to. My mom came over, she sat with me, And she became the strongest central nervous system. And I regulated to her. This is something I want you to keep in mind. Your kids, people in your life will regulate to the point that you're regulated. may take a minute. That's usually what happens. One limbic system plays off of another limbic system. Now, who in our society cannot access their language and their thoughts? Who else? Give me, give me some, give me some answers in the chat box here. Who do we know that can't access their language and their thoughts? And if some of you put down politicians, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. Baby, Baby, babies. Yeah. You got it, sister. Babies. And how do we respond to babies? I got you. I got you. You're safe. We have a cadence to our voice. Okay. We bring our body language in, in, we, we bring our tone down. We bring our volume down. We're reassuring. We provide safety. Okay. And I often wonder what would happen if we started noticing the people in our lives, the foster children in our lives, who are in their limbic brains and their behavior is their language, what would happen if we provide safety first to those people in our lives so that they can then come here? Then we have a conversation. All right, we're gonna delve more into this in just a second, but I want Jan, are you willing to kind of take us back to therapy? All right, you went into therapy and interestingly enough, the weight came off. Like it, it did. It did. 
Tell us uh, what you remembered and what you started piecing together when you went back into therapy or when you went into therapy. Well, um, I was born in uh, a, a very affluent uh, family. We, uh, flew, we had two homes, um, opposite sides of Texas, and we flew back and forth um, between those homes occasionally. This one memory that I have, I uh, was three years old, and I was sitting in my dad's lap. Uh, a little bit afraid of being on the plane. Uh, it was nighttime and he started telling me about the stars um, and the planets. And there was a crescent moon out that night. And he, he told me that the crescent moon was his toenail. And uh, I went to bed that night thinking about my daddy's toenail. That was a uh, an important memory for me because he died only a few months later. My brother went to live with my paternal grandmother. Uh, she didn't want me, so I was left uh, behind with a depressed mother who numbed her pain with alcohol. Uh, I was left alone to question where everyone was going in my life. And um, it was hard to figure out. Uh, she, um, when she was sober, I didn't exist. She didn't talk to me. She didn't look at me. She didn't um, interact with me at all. When she was drunk, um, she raged and I was the, victim of her violence. Uh, she brought home men. Um, they fought, they broke glass, there were beatings. Um, and I hid under my bed, hoping that it would all stop. Um, most of the time I was pulled out from under my bed and I, I became their victim. I was left alone on weekends while she went out uh, with men um, I, and I was hungry. I was too little to know how to prepare food for myself. Uh, she was reported for the, the negligence because I would go around the neighborhood and ask my little playmates if they had any food that I could um, that I could have. After the police, um, I, I, one night I was actually, uh, the police came to the door. I was taken to the police station and she came and got me. And I don't know what all they said to her, but uh, I was no longer left at home on the weekends, I was taken with her. I was pushed down in the back seat uh, floorboard where I had to stay until she came back to the car uh, the next morning. And um, at times I was taken with her to the taverns. I was drug into the taverns. I was pushed under the floor uh, where no one could see me, where I remained under the floor uh, until she 
She left the next morning. For five years, I was beaten. I was burned. I was neglected. I was caged. And I was molested. Um, because at times, there were a few times that my grandmother did come and get me to um, to come and see, visit with my brother. Uh, I wasn't allowed to stay in the home that they were in um, at night. Uh, I would go to my cousin who was married and had a baby um, and his home was on the property. And I went to be with him. I um, slept on the couch until he came and got me and took me to his, his bed. Um, all of that was horrible, but none of it, um, none of it was as bad as the night I was told I was going to go to an orphanage the next day. Um, I, I don't have words to tell you what that felt like, but I went to, uh, an orphanage much it looked exactly like the what is on the screen right now. Um, I walked into a row, a dorm dormitory with row after row of bed up and down each wall. Uh, my clothes, boxes of clothes, my, um, my toys were all put on the floor and uh, the, all the little children came and they started looking through my clothes and taking my toys. And I said to the matron, I said, they're taking my things. And she said, nothing here belongs to you. And I just fell to the floor. And when I came up uh, from crying, they were all gone. They were at the cafeteria eating what I found out while I was there is there were X amount of children that were there and there were X amount of plates, forks and spoons and cups and they were one short. And the purpose of that, I was told, was you need to fight. You need to fight for your place. And I, I didn't have fight. I, I had no fight. Um, I was there for nine years and I would go up on the brick wall every Sunday and wait for someone to visit me. And in nine years, no one came. Um, I, I want to tell all of you out there, the home that you're giving to those children is the greatest thing you'll ever do. Um, because I didn't have a home and it was devastating. What I did have that brought me some um, worth, I guess, was a trunk. I had a trunk at the foot of my bed. I had a key to the lock to it. And I waited till all the children would go to bed at night and I would open that trunk and it was full 
of jewels, uh, earrings that I was going to give to my mother when she came, bracelets I would give to my grandmother, um, necklaces that I would give to an aunt, anything I could do to bring um, value, some sort of value so that they would want me. Jan, thank you for sharing your story. Um, can you tell the the audience members here was was that trunk real? Well, it was to me. <laughs> it was to me. I um, I was thirty five, I think, in therapy. My my therapist kept saying. She was more invested in my trunk than I was uh, because she kept talking about it. And I I described it over and over uh, until the day that she was trying to bring me to recognizing whether it was or not. And she said, okay, Jan, she said, you lost everything in the orphanage where did you find all of this stuff and how were you able to keep it? And I said, oh, well, I, um, and I couldn't answer it. And I was devastated. I, I was devastated because now I was lost all over again. And I had to, I had to rediscover who I was and where my value was. I remember that day. Um, you see, Jan's story is fascinating for a lot of different reasons. And she's also my mother. And I remember her coming home from therapy that day and being devastated when she realized the trunk wasn't real and that that was her mind's way, her limbic brain's way of helping her survive. You know, do you call that divine? You know, for those of you that are spiritual, uh, did, was did God place it there and only my mom saw it? Was it for those of you that are scientific? Was it um, the brain's way of having her survive? Um, I, I know um, I have worked with some psychiatrists in the past would say, um, well, that sounds psychotic, you know, so so there's different lenses to look at this through. But bottom line, it allowed her to survive something that was unimaginable. Yes. I'm seeing some comments. I, I, before we sort of launch into the rest of this, I want to see if there are any questions or comments. Chills. Chill. Everyone's saying chills. So blessed to be listening to your story. Think, guys, I'm I that is such a bummer from COVID because when they do this presentation in person and Sherry says, Let's meet her, and she comes walking up, it's just like it's so powerful. And this, frankly, was just as powerful, Jan. It's thank you. This is this is why we love to have you guys. What a thank blessing! You. Thank you. Good job, Mama. I know you usually don't. <laughs> Um, ask questions if, if you have them as we go along here, okay? Um, 
I want to kind of take us back to the brain and how we connect all of this. Um, We have, you know, physical needs as humans, but we also have emotional needs, safety, freedom, connection, worth, control, and validation. Okay. Um, Mom, you had none of these. Um, None of these were met in your, in your childhood. Um, What do you think the, the trunk provided to you? Oh, wow. Uh, Absolute validation, for sure. Probably all of them, but for sure validation. It's all I had. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's what I want to challenge all of you to do is start looking at the people in your life. Remember, their behavior becomes their language. Okay, so start looking at the people in your life, especially your kiddos, and what human need are they trying to meet? You see, I I believe that every human behavior is an expression of need. Every human behavior is an expression of need. You coming, you're giving up your Saturday morning and coming to the seminar is an expression of need. All right. Three-year-old in the grocery store, throwing a wall-eyed hissy fit, screaming, banging her head down on the floor because she can't get Cocoa Puffs. What human need is she trying to express? Let me see in the chat box. What ideas do you have? Control, good one. What else? Control, yep. Any other guesses? Because that's a good one. Control and validation. Control, validation, maybe freedom, maybe safety. I don't know. Yes, that's exactly what just came in, freedom. Yeah, yeah. What about the 14-year-old who is slipping out his window at night to go smoke pot with his friends? What need is he trying to express? Freedom. Freedom? Yep. Control. Maybe control. Maybe connection, yeah. Connection, yes. That just came in. Belonging, belonging, that's a good one. Belonging, yeah, absolutely. The point is, when you are trying to determine what need they're expressing, where are you? You are here. You are in your frontal lobe. That is a higher function uh, action. And, And you are here. And it keeps you from being here, right? And mm-hmm. and being in lizard mode, just like they're in lizard mode. Okay. How, how, let me ask you this question: How many of you have ever had a lizard? Just just raise your hand. <laughs> um, how many of you have ever had a lizard in your life? Oh my! You. Wow. Okay, four <laughs> of you. The question is why? Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No. So let's look at what a lizard does. Okay. If you stick your hand in a lizard cage, the lizard will try to fight with your finger, to flight and run away from your finger. The lizard will freeze or the lizard will faint or the lizard lizard will fornicate and try to have sex with your finger or the lizard will feed and try to bite your finger. That is the life of a lizard. Fight, flight, freeze, faint, fornicate, and feed. That's all that matters to a lizard is survival, right? And to a lot of animals in the wild, that's all that matters. And it's all that matters to us as humans as well. Okay, so let's talk about what it looks like. Let's let's talk about what the lizard playbook looks like. 
when we are operating out of the lizard mode, our, re our reactions, and they are reactions, are automatic. They are usually based in fear. It is getting the call from the nurse at school and just when you see the caller ID and going, oh, crap, here we go, you know, and, and it's, so it's based in fear right out the gate. It's usually chaotic. Our reactions are chaotic and they also damage relationships. How many of you have ever been in lizard mode preaching to, lecturing, yelling at your kid who is also in lizard mode? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we all do it. Yeah. It's so easy to do it. I explained how easy it is with the mice situation and my mama drove up and helped me. I was in lizard mode. When two lizards are communicating with each other, nothing gets resolved at all, right? It, it's a power struggle usually. Do you work with kids with this lizard um, concept? Because I feel like kids would understand that better than a lot of the other ways we try to explain what their brain and bodies are doing. Absolutely. It's language that we use quite a bit at the facility that I run. And, and the kids can even get to the point where they say, I think I was acting in lizard this morning. Um, I was, I was fighting and flighting. And, and so they, they start to get it and they start to get what it looks like. Now let's look at the wizard playbook. This is when you're up here and you are aware of what is going on. You are connected to your breath. You are in your conscious mind, not your subconscious mind. And you're deliberate about the tool that you're going to pick to use to deal with the situation. Okay. Let me, let me give you an example of this. And then I want to show you a couple videos and I hope they work. There was um, a, uh, I'm not sure which example to give. Mom, should I give the shuttle? Give it. All right. Do it. So recently wrote a book on trauma and uh, mom wrote that book with me, by the way. Um, I'm sad to you. <laughs> my next book is going to be on the airport shuttle. I'm fascinated by this mode of transportation, right? We are all sitting around in a circle and we all look at each other, right? We check out each other's luggage. I usually check out everybody's shoes because that's what I'm into. Um, we all say hello. I usually say, sup, because I work with teenagers and that's how I talk. And, and then we stare at each other and the, the, the shovel starts moving and then what do we do? What do we do? It sort of gets awkward, it sort of gets quiet. Look at our phone. Everybody pulls yeah. out their phones, starts yeah. checking their emails, checking their text messages. It's just fascinating to me. So a couple of years ago, I was at the airport. I was on the shuttle. In fact, it was a packed shuttle. And and we were starting to slowly leave the, the parking lot. And I see this woman, I see this car barrel into the parking lot. I could hear the tires screeching. She parks right by the shuttle. She yanks her four-year-old out of the car. She grabs the suitcases and she starts running after the, the shuttle. She starts knocking, driver, driver, stop, stop, please stop. So the driver stops, she gets in, she looks at all of us and she says, oh my God, I'm gonna miss my flight. I have a flight on Southwest. We need to go to Southwest first. I'm sorry, please, thank you. Oh, okay. She sits down. The driver says, ma'am, that's not how we do things. 
we go in alphabetical order. We start at Alaska Airlines, then we go through in order. We end up at Southwest. You're going to have to wait your turn. She says, great. Oh my gosh. What are we going to do? She looks at her son. She says, well, guess you're not going to get to see grandma and grandpa now. She's looking out the window. She's tapping her foot. She's biting her nails. She's looking at her watch. Several times she tries to convince us to change the order that we're going to stop. Guys, by the end of that 10 minute trip to the airport, we were all doing this. We, we were all a nervous basket cake wreck, all of us were. I'm not gonna lie. It took a king size Snickers and a glass of wine on the plane <laughs> for me to finally calm down enough. She was the strongest central nervous system and she took over the entire shuttle. How many of you in your lives have experienced this? Like somebody that takes over an entire room for good or for bad. Yes. Maybe super calm or maybe they're super hysterical and it takes over. How many of you experienced that one in your life? I'm anxious just listening to you tell that story. <laughs> I'm worried she's going to miss her flight. <laughs> exactly. The strongest central nervous system wins. And because our kids are acting out, all right, what's what their thoughts and, and emotions are, they can often take over our homes and become the central, the strongest central nervous system. And then we're ner a nervous wreck. And our job as parents is to have enough self-care that we're operating out of a wizard playbook and we become the strongest central nervous system. And I'll explain how to do that here in a little bit. Does this resonate? Guys, raise your hand. I know for Brian and I, until we learned skills, we planned our lives around our son and his freakouts. Yeah. You know, we didn't know that there was any other option. We just thought, okay, this is how we live now. <laughs> he will dictate the mood and we will all dance on eggshells to, to, to keep it under as much control as possible. Yeah. Lots of hands going up. That is so common for foster parents. I think you're right. And, and you can almost be, Renee, to your point, you can almost be held hostage a little bit. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that I work on with uh, families and, and parents in therapy is um, the family behavior contract that, that starts to um, set the tone in a different way in the family system. We don't have time to get in that today, but um, you can reach out to me and I can give you some resources for that. So I, I'm hoping these work because I, I really want to show a couple of videos that you probably even saw on Facebook um, during the, the the height of all of the racial uh, rioting and, and, and injustice that was going on and, and people protesting. I want to show you two different clips and talk about each one.
Ugh. What did you see there? Start chat with me a little bit. What did you see about body language and uh, what they were saying and how they were holding weapons and how people were reacting? Any any feedback on that while I load this next one? Sensory overload is oh for I mean, sure. Yeah. Um, domination. Somebody. Domination. Said. Yes, absolutely. Um, even the way that everybody was standing was was harsh. All right, um, lizard fight mode. Absolutely, Alicia, that's fantastic. That's perfect, yes. All right, now, take a look at this one. This is something very different. Scenes like this just continue to pop up, just showing unity throughout the nation as well. This, what you're looking at right now, officers and protesters in Nebraska coming together and doing the Cupid Shuffle. This all happening after law enforcement and black leaders signed an agreement called Hold Cops Accountable. Okay, let's, let's dissect this one just a little bit. Which scene had the strongest central nervous system, the protesters, the cops, where were they the strongest central nervous system in which clip? Any, any ideas? No? The police? In, in two, okay. All right. Anybody else want to take a want to take a stab at it? Is the strongest mean the most intense? That's the question coming in. Sonia, it doesn't necessarily mean the most intense. It's it could be the one that's most regulated or dysregulated. See, here's what I would say. Both. The ah, cops and the protesters were the strongest central nervous system in both clips, one for good, one for not. Okay, you saw in that first clip how just by the way they were reacting out of fear mode, out of fight mode, everybody was responding. And then you see in this clip, everybody, the, the cops, the protesters are regulated, they're all breathing, they're smiling, they're dancing, their body language is relaxed, and everybody regulates to them, right? So, so it really can be either way. Questions on any of that? Uh-oh, now I got to get back to... <laughs> Any, any questions as we, any, any disagreements, criticisms, complaints on this one? Let me, let me give you another example, okay? And I'm gonna try to make it short. Where are we at with time? Um, we, okay. We're still good, yep. So a couple years ago, I was asked to consult with a, a residential treatment facility in Denver that was struggling. And these kiddos were, uh, I mean, they had committed several crimes. They, they were very defiant. They were very aggressive. Okay. And overnight, these kids decided to riot in the facility. They took off all their clothes. They vandalized everything. They, they spray painted the whole building. Um, they started, they started a fire in the middle of the living room with their treatment binders. Yes. 
Then they broke into the kitchen and got marshmallows and roasted those marshmallows over their burning treatment binders. It was a chaotic mess. So I get in the next morning, I group up the staff. The staff are weird, you know, their, their eyes are red, they're nervous. We group up in my office, we talk about how we're going to be the strongest central nervous system. We stand in a circle, we stretch a little bit, we take some deep breaths, we make our plan, we strategically place ourselves all throughout the facility. Okay, the kids wake up, they start coming out of their rooms, half of them are not clothed still, they start saying to me and all the other stuff, what, what, what's going on? What's going on right now? Did you guys call the popos? What, what what's happening? It's okay. That's all we did. We got dramatic with our breaths. We offered safety. We didn't say much. We just stayed regulated. Okay, they started to come out of their rooms They grouped up around the fire, the bonfire that they had made the night before. We all went next to them, sat down, sat in a circle. We just sat there and breathed with them for 15 minutes and their breath started matching our breath. Okay, then finally the ringleader raises his hand. He's like, I think we're ready for our consequences now. We didn't give the consequences yet. We went outside and we played with them. We played freeze tag, we jumped around, we ran, we got out all our nervous energy. Then we came back in and we gave them their consequences. This is what I wanna challenge you with parents. There is nothing wrong with delay, delaying the consequence, okay? Until you can connect with yourself. We're gonna talk about this in a minute, but connection before correction. All right, maybe that means you are connecting with yourself, with your breath, with your parenting partner, calling him up on the phone saying, you're not gonna believe what she did. And your parenting partner says, all right, let's talk it out. Let's talk it out. Let's just take some, let's just take some breaths right now. Okay. Can you give us an idea of timeline on that situation, Sherry? Because sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm calm. Time for you to calm down too. <laughs> but it's not an immediate thing. It, it's, it's being aware. I mean, remember the wizard playbook where you're aware of yourself. I mean, there are times when I talk to the kids like this. Hey guys, I um, need to talk to you about something. Um, now, my voice is calm right now, right? But guess what? My body language is not. My body language is saying something very, very different. Okay? So it's becoming aware enough to be able to say, I'm not, I'm not there yet. Yeah. 20 yeah. minutes is not enough for me. I need two days. <laughs> and that is when I will finally feel regulated enough where we can have this conversation. And, and one of the, the love and logic techniques that, that I often talk to parents about is delay the consequence. Hey, Timmy, I sort of lost it with you last night and I'm still pretty emotional about it. So um, I need some time to think through what the consequence is gonna be here. Let's connect tomorrow at dinner. And in the meantime, don't worry about it, okay? That does a couple of things. First of all, it allows you chance to regulate, connect to yourself. It also tells Timmy not to worry about it. What's the very thing Timmy's gonna do? Is probably worry about it, <laughs> right? Um, so, that, so there's a lot of layers to that, but, but it is making sure that they're in a place, they're in their wizard brains 
you're in your wizard brain. Then we've got two wizards talking. And and guys, one of the most powerful things that you can do as a parent in, in this stage is to say the example that I just give. Wow, you know what? Or the example I just gave. You know what? Last night, I I blew it. I blew it. I raised my voice. I, uh, I, I lectured you. I'm sorry. I'm trying to learn all this stuff. And I, I would like to try it again when you're ready. When, when can we make a plan for, for trying this again and redoing this? That's powerful to a kiddo. Okay, so when you're regulated, and we're gonna talk about how to get to a point of regulation in just a minute. But when you're regulated, then you can be deliberate and you can pick the tool that you're gonna use. Maybe it's love and logic. Maybe it's delaying the consequence. Maybe it's MVE. You're going to need a piece of paper for this one. MVE stands for mirror, validate, and empathize. It's a great listening tool. It's not necessarily going to solve anything. It is simply a tool for you to listen and hear each other. Okay. So mirror, you are repeating exactly what your kid is saying. Exactly verbatim. Now, for those of you that don't like to cuss, you might have to get over yourself because if they are cussing at you, you are repeating exactly what they're saying. Now, I don't know if there are children present in your home, so I'm not going to cuss, although I wish I could, because I have a zinger. I have a zinger that somebody said to me once. I had a kid. I'm going to I'm going to give you the PG version of this. I had a kid that said. Sherry, so I'm small, okay? I'm like 5'2". I'm small, I'm tiny. No, she's actually five feet, but uh, whatever. Mom, whatever. <laughs> we'll um, give her the two inches. Anyway, <laughs> um, I'm small. So I had this large kid in a facility once say to me, Sherry, you are a pint-sized wench and you are only here for a paycheck. <gasps> oh my gosh. We all know what we get paid in mental health. It's not good. So that one hurt. So I mirrored exactly what he said. What I'm hearing you say is I am a pint sized wench and I am only here for a paycheck. Okay. Then you validate what they say. Now, this is the hardest part for parents. I said to him, what makes sense to me about that is. There are tons of staff that come and go and do get a paycheck. And I imagine you must feel unimportant. Now, he said to me, I don't feel unimportant. I feel sick, sick of this place. And I wish you would die. What I hear you saying is you feel sick of this place and you wish I would die. What makes sense to me about that is you don't want me in your space right now. And I imagine you must be overwhelmed. Now, let me ask you this, parents. If you are wrong with the I imagine you must feel, are they going to tell you? Yes, they're going to tell you. That's okay. This is about them feeling validated and feeling heard. And bottom line, that's one of our biggest needs. It was in the emotional needs I put up earlier. Validation, right? Connection. You may go through several rounds of this. Okay, what I'm hearing you say is, don't use that therapy BS on me. 
what I hear you saying is don't use that therapy BS on me. And, and, and what makes sense to me about that is it, it probably sounds scripted. And I'm trying, kiddo. I'm trying out some different things. I, I imagine you must feel really lost right now. Here's what I want you to do. I'd like you to write down on paper or in even better in the comment section, the chat box, what is the zinger? What did they say to you that was like, boom, knife to a knife to the heart. It just killed you inside and run it through this script. Okay. Or if you have a zinger you need help with, let me know. I'll walk you through it. All right. Here's one we probably all hear quite often in foster care. You're not my real mom. Oh, you're not my real mom. Okay. <clears throat> Let's do, does anybody want to try it? Does anybody want to try the script? see if anybody will give them a second. Here comes something. Or, oh, I love that, Rachel. When are you going to get married and have your own kids? Ooh, ouch, there's the knife. All right, let's, let's run the first one through the script. What I hear you saying is I'm not your real mother or I'm not your real parent. And what makes sense to me about that is I'm not. I'm not, I, I'm here, I'm the one showing up for you. And I imagine you must feel really hurt or really abandoned or really confused. Okay, one, one, the, the, the one that parents often come to me with is, um, I wanna just kill myself. I wanna just slip my wrist and kill myself. What I hear you saying is you wanna kill yourself. And what makes sense to me about that is the pain is huge and you want out of it. And I imagine you must feel lost or hurting or whatever it is. Okay, let me tell you what this does to a child or to anyone. When you mirror them, you are saying, I see you. When you validate them, you're saying, I hear you. When you're empathizing, you are letting them know, I understand you, I get you. And to a child, that means I exist, okay? Now, they may respond like they respond, right? Their behavior is their language, but that message gets through. It does, it gets through in a subconscious level, it gets through in that limbic brain. It starts to carve out a new neural pathway. Questions about any of this? We doing good? Can we keep going? To have you guys for a little bit more. Hang, hang with me. Totally. All right. <clears throat> this is another one I, I want you thinking through. It's, it's another tool. And you do this tool again, just like MVE when you're up here. If you are in your limbic brain, it is not time to pull out any tools. You are in lizard brain you are reacting instead of responding and your major job when you are in lizard mode is to calm down whatever that looks like for you maybe it's breath maybe it's a walk maybe you call a friend uh, maybe you listen to music maybe you get in your car and drive off for a few minutes <laughs> okay all right we are like floating icebergs in the ocean of life and this is what it looks like if you were to break it down. 
We have thought, we have experiences and beliefs and values that are at the bottom of the ocean floor, at the bottom of our icebergs. That is the foundation. That's that limbic stuff, okay, that informs us. Then we have thoughts about the things in our life. We have feelings about them, and you'll notice the waterline is halfway through the feelings. The reason for that is we will show the world some of our feelings. We will show agitation. We will show happiness. We don't always show the world all of our feelings. The shame, the regret, the overwhelm, the terror, some of that stuff stays hidden under the water. And that's reserved for people in our lives that we really trust. Then after our thoughts and our feelings, then we have actions and then we have results. So I want to give you an example of this. Let's say that when you were a young kid, um, kind of like the example that mom was given, when you were a young kid, you grew up with parents that yelled. They yelled and screamed and lectured and there was a lot of noise and chaos. Okay. And that was your that was your childhood experience. And you have thoughts about that, right? Your parents are screaming and yelling and it makes you scared and you think, oh, this is going to end bad. And you have feelings about it. And maybe you're scared and maybe you hide under the bed. Or maybe you went away to a friend's house and then you had actions. Maybe it was under the bed, <laughs> right? Or uh, go to a friend's house and then results. Your parents either ignored that or yelled at you for hiding under your bed. Okay. You grow up, you realize, wow, there's something wrong with that. You get therapy. You do the journaling assignments. You do everything you're supposed to do. And then you are in your 30s or 40s and you decide you are going to bring home a precious little foster child. You think that you have resolved all of the issues in your life. <laughs> a foster child will show you immediately that you have not. So you bring home little Timmy who behavior is his language, yells and screams and throws a fit at everything. Okay, all of a sudden you are triggered. We have things that trigger us because they're based in our past, right? The, the yelling would be based in our past and that would trigger you. You also have physical cues, okay? So as a young kiddo, when mom and dad yelled, you might've tensed up, your heart might've raced, you might've had some shallow breathing. Our triggers are always our triggers. They're just always there for us because they're hardwired in our experiences. Our physical cues are always the same, usually, because that's how we're biologically wired. Our thoughts can be different. Our thoughts can be different. So you have young Timmy living with you now. He's screaming and yelling. This triggers you. You notice you tighten up. You notice that you've got the shallow breathing. You start to think, oh my God, this is going to end bad. He's going to destroy everything. Oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. You start to feel overwhelmed. You start to feel anxious. Um, your actions, I don't know, maybe you go into lizard mode and you start yelling yourself. Maybe you shut down. I'm not sure what, what your actions are. And the results are you're exhausted. You feel like a battered parent. You can't even sleep at night anymore. You are weary eyed and nothing has changed with Timmy. He's still yelling and screaming. And you guys are worlds apart up here at the top of your icebergs. This is what usually drives people into therapy. 
Their results are worlds apart. He's sleeping in the other bedroom. He won't speak to me anymore. My kid constantly yells at me and is sneaking out of the house. Um, I don't understand why she's behaving this way. That's what drives us into therapy. But look at where we are colliding down here at the bottom. Our beliefs, our experiences, our values. That's what's knocking up against each other in the depths of the ocean. That's where the work is. Okay. If your therapist is not ensuring that you are looking at those things, find another therapist. That's where the work is. Okay. And, and if your child is triggering you, write that out, write it out. What are my triggers with this kid? What physical cue do I have? Do I turn red? Do I clench my jaw? Then what thoughts do I have? What feelings, what actions, what results? Because I'm telling you folks, if you start to change your thoughts, the entire pyramid changes. If the thought becomes, his behavior is his language. All right, what emotional need is he trying to express right now? I'm too dysregulated right now. I need a timeout. It changes everything. It changes how you feel. It changes your actions. Questions, comments on that? Jerry, while, um people have a moment to chime in if they care to, you know, the, the, you're at the bottom of the pyramid, you know, your dad grew up uh, very adored, very, very loved. And uh, he grew up in the South and men uh, rule the family and they, women are submissive. So that's kind of how he, he went into our marriage. Um, in his dominance, you know, and that kind of thing, he told me once uh, when we were married that if um, if I didn't like the way he did things, that I could pack my bags and he would put me on a plane. So I lived, by the way, for 31 years with someone that I was afraid of. So I, I was scared to death to uh, to just show my thoughts, show my fears, show my uh, anger, any of that. We were worlds apart in how we came into that marriage. Right. That's so right, Mom. I'm glad you you pointed that out. I mean, you didn't you weren't allowed to have a phone, a car, a job, friends, none of it. Um, and, and folks, you know, I'm a therapist. I've worked through all of this. So is mom. Um, they did end up getting divorced, but, but here's, what was interesting to see as an adolescent growing up in, in my home, when mom started going to therapy and getting her voice back, like getting her, well, not back, but getting a voice for the first time ever and getting some, some self-esteem and feeling like, Hey, maybe I am worthy of something different. Your, your icebergs definitely collided because dad still had the same belief system and yours was changing. And that's Correct. what was. Yeah. Perfect example. Questions on any of this that I need to address. Now, when let's say you are colliding with a completely different experience yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean that relationship is doomed. Nope. Absolutely not. In fact, um, well, I mean, I, I am a therapist. I believe in the power of therapy and what treatment mm -hmm. can do for people and therapy can do. And even journaling and sitting there and talking to a spouse or, or, or somebody in your life that you have conflict with. All of that 
is healing. All of that can bring about, remember the neural pathways, yeah. new neural pathways, new understandings, new beliefs, new mm. ways of communicating with each other. I've seen some of the most broken relationships between parents and children or spouses completely reconciled and, and, and made beautiful again. So Renee, I, I think the key and Sherry, you can, um, poo-poo my idea. But I think the key is I was willing to get the help to work on my triggers, to work on my uh, self-worth. And he uh, was not willing to do that. So he stayed, he stayed here and I, you know, so if that willingness has got to be there uh, for both. And I feel like that's a lot of times what keeps people from therapy, right? It's kind of scary because it's not easy and there's work to do. Right. Absolutely. And that put, puts people in lizard mode, right? It does. But oh my word, the insight you gain into yourself and, and your partner or your right. child or whatever is amazing. I'm light years away from how I used to be. Yeah. I was wanted to ask you, Jan, if you don't mind, do you still think about your trunk? And if you do, is it still a comfort? I do still think about it. Uh, Sherry actually bought me one, just a, a small one. Aww. And I have it at the end of my bed and it's got little Mardi Gras beads and little jewels in it. Um, it, it's my reminder. Um, and now it doesn't hurt because of therapy and the work I did, I now have value that doesn't, um, that doesn't uh, tie into something that's not real. It ties into something that's real and it's, uh, but, but the trunk, uh, I still look at it and I, I, it, it's no longer painful. It's just a reminder of where I once was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Sherry, what about working with a kid on the autism spectrum who has difficulty making connections with reality? That's, that's tough. It, yeah. Um, and I have, I actually have a few clients right now that I'm working with. Um, and that's the, that's the very issue. Um, and we're building in, I had mentioned earlier, a, a family behavior contract that, that isn't about just the kid. It's a family behavior contract. And so kiddo is empowered to also put in feedback into to this contract about mom, I don't want you yelling so much. And Mm -hmm. kiddo, these are gonna be the rewards when you do such and so. And all of this is put in a contract and it's in language that that a kiddo understands it and and a child on the spectrum can understand it. Um, It's very concrete. Um, There are rewards, there are consequences. And so there are some strategies like that, that that really speak to not just a kid, kiddo on the spectrum, but just kids in general, because they are very concrete and black and white kids in general. Um, So, and, and again, if you guys reach out to me afterwards, I can share some examples of a contract with you that you can start building um, 
with your therapist and, and with your kiddo, if that, if that helps in your home. Yeah. I want to follow up with you on that. There's a couple other ways we could engage with you. It that doesn't have to be a two hour long training that I think that would be really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, we talked earlier, someone had asked about EMDR. Are you EMDR certified and how, how does that help? Uh, transform the neural pathways. Yeah, I think I think you know um, some people really like EMDR and other people don't. Um, what what I like about it is there is uh, quite a bit of time spent um, creating sort of a safe container around yes. the trauma, um, yes. so that when and if you do go back in a therapy office and revisit it, you are revisiting it with. Uh, tools and strategies and resources and safety and and a container and and the therapist really sort of leads you through that step by step when you're ready. It's it's a beautiful technique that that has really proven to be successful with a lot of people who've experienced trauma. I have to agree. I um, did EMDR as a foster parent when I first entered therapy to help get some help processing the secondary trauma of fostering. Um, and for those of you that are not familiar, EMDR is a, a type of therapy that gives you bilateral stimulation. So either uh, a, a finger going back and forth in front of your eyes, or for me, it was you wear headphones and there's a beep that goes from one in ear to the other back and forth while you're holding um, these little pods that buzz while the it while it's beeping on one side, it's vibrating on that side as well. And do can you explain a little bit more about what what that does when both sides of our brain are stimulated? Yeah, it it starts to get different centers of your brain lighting up instead of the just the um, the limbic centers of your brain that that's you know has that holds the terror and the overwhelm. Um, it starts to communicate with other centers of your brain so that you can learn how to navigate a trauma, whether it be past or moving forward with different parts of your brain. It's, it, it builds in new neural pathways. Um, that's a real simplified version of how to explain yeah, it. Yeah, I have found it so helpful. Guys, raise your hand if you'd be interested in the training on EMDR. We've done it a couple of times in the past and some kids have used it as well. It's really fascinating um, how it, you don't, it's hard to explain. You're not hypnotized. And it, you don't forget the trauma, but because both sides of your brain are stimulated, it lowers your reaction. You still remember it. You can still think about it, but you don't get that immediate heart racing, shortened breath that you may now when you think of a certain event. You can, it lowers that that drastic reaction, I guess, would be the, your, your brain reprocesses it. That's what EMDR stands for is eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. Oh, I see a lot of interest. So we'll, we'll look into offering that again. It, it really does, Renee, that was well said. It really does um, sort of build in internal resourcing to, um, to navigate an old trauma, or like I said, one in the future. Um, my therapist used it on me. Yeah. Yeah. It's super helpful. Sherry, you are teaching another class for us coming up. Lindsay, when you have a second, can you tell us what day that is? And Sherry, 
It's called iGeneration. Can you tell us a little bit about that class? It is. Tell me, do I still have another 20 minutes? Ish. Ish. 10? 10? 10 I'm ish. sorry. I should have waited. Are we not through your the presentation no. yet? Let's finish <laughs> that first. <laughs> Let me can I, can I get through a couple more things. Yeah, of course. Okay, perfect. All right. Um, so I want to talk real quickly about, you know, trauma ingrained homes. They're, they're, they're homes where you are uh, building relationships with, with your kiddos. And, and that is done connection before correction, right? That, that's done through connecting, understanding resistance, their resistance, and then responding, you know, that emotional regulation where you are responding rather than reacting. I, I want to just ask for a few minutes, those of you that see your kids as resistant, resistant to the rules, resistant to treatment, I want you to start thinking about what is beautiful and insightful about that. What is beautiful and insightful about somebody who's always defiant? You have a child that has learned a way that allows them to survive an existence that feels scary to them. Okay, what is beautiful and insightful about a child who never showers, just won't shower? You have a child that has come up with a way to keep people at a distance, right? Um, so that they can feel safe. There is beauty in our resistance. And so taking a look at that when you're where? Here, here. All right, I want to talk real quick about... Um, self-care because there is absolutely zero way you are going to be able to operate from a wizard mindset as a parent if you are not taking care of yourself this is vital it is vital guys in fact if you are exercising yay for you if you listen to soothing music on the way home from work yay for you and it is not enough. It is not enough given what is going on in our world, what is going on with your children. It's not enough. It just isn't. I have on my phone, I have a three times a day, there's an alarm that goes off and a question pops up for me. And the question is, what is taking care of yourself look like right now? I need that reminder because I work with significant trauma and, and darkness in my life. I will get lost in the abyss if my alarm is not going off three times a day to remind me, oh yeah, okay, what is taking care of myself look like right now? Um, right now, it's 10 breaths. Or right now, I'm just going to get a cup of tea and walk outside for a few minutes. You see, we know what we would do if we have a full day off. Full day off from our spouses, our kids, and our jobs, right? We would go for a hike. We would have a massage. We'd get together with a friend and have coffee. We might read a book. We might go to the gym and work out. Those are things we'd do if we had time. What do you do when you have five seconds? Okay, the school has called. It's the principal. Um, hello, Mrs. Smith. I am sorry to inform you that uh, we have your child in the office right now, and he has a bag of pot. Um, I need you to come down and get him right away. He's, he's suspended. What do you do when you have five seconds? What do you do then? Write me some suggestions. Write me some suggestions in the chat box when you don't have time. 
good point because normally I'm guessing we all just jump up and run. Yes. And if you yeah. jump up and run, you are in your limbic brain. Yeah. You are going to operate from a lizard perspective. Yeah. Somebody says drink water. Great idea. Drink water. Pray. Pray. Love it. Maybe drive around the block a couple times before you head to the school. They can That's wait. They're great safe. Great idea. Yeah. Don't right? drive straight there. On the way there. So Keep that breathing. you're busting in that office saying, you little, what did you do? What yeah. if we regulated ourselves and walked into the office and said, wow, kiddo, you okay? You okay? Yeah, it's going to be suspended. I know. I know. What's going to happen to me? I don't know. We'll talk about it. Don't worry about it. That would change how that whole experience went. Yeah. And here's here's what I want to do for you guys in closing. Um, can I do just a couple more things, Renee? Yeah, totally. Okay. There's a couple more things. I, I, this is a quick tool that helps you evaluate quickly if your life is out of balance or not. Don't do it now because we don't have time. But when you have time, get a piece of paper and draw out a circle with eight pie slices. And on the outside of the pie slices, list the things in your life that you value and that get your attention. Okay. Mine says family, exercise, reading, travel, church, work, sleep, friends. Okay. Then once you've done that, I want you to color in your slice to the amount of time and energy you are spending on that area. Okay. So right now my work schedule is packed. I am spending 90% of my time and energy working. That's why I colored that one in 90%. I am not doing anything with travel or church and very little with family and friends. So you can see this is a circle that's out of whack. I have the kids at my work do this. I have my staff do it. I do it once a month so that I can assess what areas of my life I need more balance in. Because I'm telling you folks, if I continue like this, I am going to be a lizard. I just am because I'm not filling myself up enough. L let me show you one more example before we end. There's, there's a theory that I do another talk, mom and I do a talk on epigenetics, which is the theory that we are all walking around with 12 generations of trauma in us. So the unresolved trauma from our ancestors often got passed down to us. Okay. And we're having to make sense of it and navigate it. That's a whole nother fascinating talk. When you wake up in the morning, you already have that DNA rolling around in your system, depression, anxiety, fear of heights, this fear of feel, feeling claustrophobic and you don't understand why that's already there in the morning when you wake up. Okay. Put it on put a little sticky on cause it's already there. Let's say that you get up and in the morning, morning routine is often chaotic. I don't want to go to school. I don't like online schooling. It's boring. The zoom doesn't work. Oh my God. I have this thing after school. I forgot to tell you about, put on another one. For those of you that have a mortgage or pay rent, put on another one. For those of you that have a cell phone, put on another one. Because you're looking at social media, right? Yes. Okay. For those of you that have a spouse, you can put on this whole entire thing. But okay. <laughs> For those of you that have um, 
uh, a boss you have to tend to or employees you have to tend to put on another one the county coming at once a month the county coming and doing a surprise inspection of your files okay the caseworker showing up talking to your child that's visits with bio parents therapies there you go this is what we look like Okay, I used to come home from work when I, I was a single parent. My, my kiddo's 23 now, but he used to be tiny. And when I came home from work, I would say, hello, how was your day? And he'd say, what's wrong, mom? Aww. Right? He saw it. Even though I was trying to fake it, he saw it. I had to build in some practices for myself. In fact, mine was go take a shower. I had to take a shower after work. He got to the point where he was like, mommy, go take a shower, and then we can talk about my day. <laughs> that was putting myself first. I had to. I couldn't be there for him if I didn't. So if you are going to work out at the gym, take one off. If you're going to watch the nine news, nine o'clock hour that shows you this latest atrocities in the world, put one back on. Okay. I'm not saying don't watch the news. I'm saying to the brain, trauma's trauma. You have to do enough throughout the day that what you're taking in and what sticks to you your child's trauma, your child's behaviors, whatever it is, matches what you're taking off. <sighs> Bedtime wow. is stressful for me. I'm going to, you know, go for a walk around the neighborhood before bedtime. I take one off. I'm going to call a friend or talk to my parenting partner before I respond to my kid. You can take one off. They're going to scream and yell at me. You put one back on. But you see you see how it's a trade-off, mm-hmm. okay? Wow. There's a video I like to show. I'll, I'll, maybe I can send it to you, Renee, and you can post it up for me. Um, sure. That sort of uh, talks about what it looks like when we just take a breath. Then, folks, then, and only then, when we are connecting to ourselves, First, can we connect to our children and parent from the wizard playbook? We become the strongest central nervous system then. Okay, give me, give me questions. Incredible. Give me comments. Let me know if this helped or not. Questions for mom. My question is, can we schedule the epigenetics talk? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a fascinating, uh, it's a fascinating talk. All right, guys. Um, go yeah. ahead. You getting any comments that I need Nothing, to address? Yeah. This training has been incredible. Do you want to tell us real quick? Is this the last slide? Do you want to tell us about iGeneration? So iGeneration is a talk I'm going to do in December um, about social media and um, just technology and all the platforms that are available to these kiddos and the effect, um, good and bad that it's having on our kiddos and and how to address that as a parent, sort of the implications as a parent and then how to address it as a parent. Perfect. Anonymous attendee, definitely this has been helpful in so many ways, much appreciated. What do you think Renee? Do I have time to show my little breath video or not? Sure. I cannot believe the grace and peace Jan was able to share her story with. Thank you, Jan. Thank you so much. This was Thank super you. informative and helpful, not only for my foster child, but for my bio children. I think that's fantastic feedback because we forget 
the bio kids are, are experiencing all of that with us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and I would practice some of these scripts, some of these techniques when you are in a place of regulation yourself, yeah. you know, at the dinner table. Maybe, maybe you and maybe you're, you and your spouse or you and your friend are practicing the MVE so that you, you get it ingrained for when you actually need to use it. Yeah. Um, Good idea. Yeah. Do you want to yeah. Let's see if it'll share your other one? All right. We'll close with this. I get really mad when my brother hits me a lot. I don't like it when you say you don't want to play with me. When I'm mad, my brain can get a headache and it can start hurting. Your blood keeps pumping because you're like really mad. And you start to get sweaty because you're getting really, really mad. And then when you start getting really mad, you turn red. When your body can't really control yourself, mad just takes over your body. I just get out of control. It's kind of like if you had a jar and then the jar would be your brain and then you put glitter in the jar and that would be how you would feel. If you shook up the jar and the glitter went everywhere, that would be how your mind looks. And it's like spinning around and then you don't have any time to think. And you sometimes punch stuff and people when you don't really mean it. When I get angry, I feel it in my heart. I really don't like when I get angry. The amygdala really reacts, but the prefrontal cortex tries to keep it down. Oops. Um, when I like feel like I want to, you know, get really angry and yell, I just like sometimes, you know, like take deep breath. Like first you find a place where you can be alone, then you find some way to relax and calm down. When I need to calm down, I take deep breaths. I breathe in through my nose. Sometimes I close my eyes or just take deep breaths. It's like it's coming down, it's like not like moving. It's like slowing down and then it stops. And the heart plumps slow and then it goes into your brain. like all the sparkles are at the bottom of your brain. My brain like slows down and then like I feel more calm and then I'm like ready to speak to the, that person. I am so grateful for what you all do. 
I wish my mom had had a home like the one you're providing to these kids. Um, guys, reach out to, to me at any time for any reason. Um, our book is for sale on Amazon and goes over some of these techniques, but, um, but reach out. Reach out and let us know if you want to be a guest on our podcast, if you want some resources, if you just have some questions. Um, I do a lot of therapy and life coaching and can can maybe give you some tools and strategies. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with us. It has been an honor. Thank you so, so much, Sherry and Jan. It's, you know, I'm always proud of what we do at Foster Source, but it's days like this that I'm just bursting with pride at what we're able to offer our foster parents.